Hey everyone, welcome to Asian Tech Leaders, the podcast where we interview some of the most interesting and inspiring Asian CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. I'm your host, Justin Pang, and I'm on a mission to share the stories of Asian tech leaders to help guide your personal and professional life. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Faisal Abid is a serial entrepreneur and currently the Chief Technical Officer and Co-Founder at Irene Cremations, a direct-to-consumer service to help families plan affordable and high-quality cremation services. Faisal is also currently a Google Developer Expert, CTO at Bitstrap.com, and instructor at BrainStation. Prior to founding Irene Cremations, Faisal was a CTO at Zoom AI, where he led engineering, including overseeing its machine learning infrastructure. Faisal has also held senior software engineering roles at Health Tech Platform League and e-reader platform Kobo. On this episode, you'll learn about how Faisal knew what he wanted to do with his career at the young age of seven, how a book called The Mom Test helps Faisal create better products, and how to think about money when making career decisions. Hope you enjoy this episode, and let's get started. Hi, Faisal. It's Justin here. Thanks so much for joining the podcast. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. Really excited to have you on. Um, had a chance to do some research before our conversation. You have such a breadth and uh, depth of experience that I'm excited to um, share with all of the listeners. Um, but wanted to start actually with you know, the current um, uh, journey that you're on with Irene Cremations. Such an interesting yeah. space and business model. Uh, for those who haven't heard about it, um, can you share a little bit more about uh, Irene Cremations and kind of what um, what led you down this path to, to start this company? Yeah, I mean, um, so the the idea really came for Irene when I was in Japan. Um, actually, my co-founder and I both had a very similar idea uh, independently. We don't even know each other at this point. So I was in Japan and I was uh, meeting a friend that used to work at Kobo. He was actually the CEO of Kobo for a while. Um, and, uh, so he had left and he had started a Buddhist cremation service and, uh, that got me very excited because he was actually taking something so low tech, that not a lot of people think about and bringing it to the internet. And so I started thinking about how can I do something in death tech on the internet or in death, death tech is a word term. I only recently learned like a year ago, but it's something in death on the internet. <clears throat> and then. I flew back to Toronto and one of the things I've learned in doing a lot of my startups in the past is that my businesses that do well for me are the ones that I have deep expertise in, uh, the subject matter, or I'm partnered with someone that has deep subject matter expertise. And funny enough, Tracy actually introduced me to Mallory, my co-founder, um, and as we were chatting about business ideas, she said she had this idea very similar to Irene as well. And then I was like, wait a minute, you know, no one ever talks about death. Why are you interested in death? And her entire family has been in the death, uh, death business for a while. They, they own a funeral home. So she grew up around that. So she had the expertise. And uh, so she was working at Wealthsimple at the time. I was at Zoom.ai at the time. So then we decided, hey, this makes a lot of sense. Let's start this. And we started brainstorming what this idea could be. And eventually we came up with Irene, the uh, version that we see now, which is basically a virtual funeral home in a lot of ways that makes affordable and trans that makes cremation and aquamation, the entire process very affordable and transparent. Um, 
right now, you know, when someone passes away, they're kind of, they're not kind of, they're very overwhelmed. So they'll have to kind of go to different funeral homes, ask around, have a lot of discussion. There's a lot of paperwork involved. So we automate that entire process. They can call us, you know, it's a flat fee, 2,500, and we'll help you throughout the entire way. We'll fill out the paperwork, we'll register the death with the city, so you can go back to doing what's important rather than trying to, you know, price shop and all this stuff. So you just play one flat fee with Irene. Great. So this is a direct-to-consumer play, right? It's not a, a exactly. B2B like platform for existing yeah. funeral homes to work with. Okay. Got exactly. It. It's direct-to-consumer. We work with a lot of crematoriums. So the way the model works in Canada is a family has to talk to a funeral home and then a funeral home talks to a crematorium. And so we are basically that funeral home. We just don't have a physical office. We're a virtual funeral home. And then uh, families talk to us when we take care of the families. Very neat. And, you know, this kind of being your first time in this like industry, any surprises, um, you know, in the first bit of, of working in this space? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's very regulated. That's what was mm. surprising. I knew that there was regulation, but I didn't know how much and how long it would take us to actually get started. Uh, Mallory and I wanted to start this about two years ago or two and a half years ago. But it took us almost, you know, it took us like two years to start because we ended up launching last December. Just because there's so much paperwork, licensing involved, there was a lot of, uh, we had to kind of, the the regulation isn't really built for online and, you know, Web 2.0 and all this stuff, right? They're really kind of thinking about physical funeral homes or thinking about how it works when you have land and all that stuff. And so we were trying to, get a license based on a very old style regulation. And so we had to talk to a lot of lawyers, we had to talk to government officials and kind of do like this mini lobbying on trying to say, hey, look, you know, we're we're doing the same thing, we're just doing it online, right? It's, it's identical, the process. And in fact, it's a lot more safer because, you know, we're doing it online, we have a SQL database, right? You know, backups, all this stuff, whereas Traditional funeral homes, they're dealing with everything on paper. Um, and it's just all over the place in like a drawer somewhere. And so we, you know, that these are all the things that we had to kind of go through with the government uh, to get this license. Mm, very interesting. Um, and especially in the last year and a bit, right, since the pandemic hit, how have you seen that impact um, the business and even the way that uh, you and your team have been working? Yeah, I mean, so I wouldn't say COVID directly impacted the business. It's not like we're getting COVID uh, people that passed away because of COVID. Yeah. But what COVID has done is shifted people's mentality in that I'm going to go online to search for this, right? Versus like, I'm going to drive down to my funeral home. And by going online, that's where we are. That's where our presence is. And so we're working a lot on advertising on various platforms um, and trying to get in front of the person when they're thinking about uh, when someone's passed away or they're thinking about prearranging their cremation or acclimation as such. And so that has been uh, helpful. That's where COVID has kind of played uh, a part there. Um, but in general, you know, what's, what families really like is that they can call us 24-7 and someone is there uh, ready to talk to them. And they find a lot of comfort in that. And that's really all they have to do. They never have to kind of leave their house, their safe space. They can stay there, 
call us and then go back to dealing with all you know the law you know grieving the loss of their loved one yeah yeah absolutely um and you mentioned earlier and i saw this on the website acclimation i had never heard of this before so uh for those who haven't heard of acclimation what is it and um kind of what are the the benefits or differences from you know typical cremation yeah i mean there it's very detailed um but at a high level acclimation is really the other term for it is like water cremation that's i mean that's literally in the name um so with traditional cremation there is this idea where you know you are there is emission happening it is going into this like crema cremation furnace uh and then there's like pollution and all that stuff and so with acclimation it's the clean way of doing it through water it's this whole process it's this very interesting machine uh that it's it's actually very it sounds very scientific and i'm sure there's a lot of science behind it but it's actually a very well-made machine it's very respectful um it takes care of your loved one and the acclimation process at the end of the day ends up resulting in the same thing uh you still get the ash um but you you know you get it in it's the exact identical yeah it is identically a lot of times it's hard to explain it because the end result's the same the starting is the same it's just that the process of the actual how you convert like a body to ash uh, yeah. the cremated remains is just one is fire and the other is water oh got it got it very interesting um and are you seeing like at least the customer base having a preference more towards like Cremation versus acclimation, because acclimation sounds like a pretty newish technology I hadn't heard of. Exactly, exactly. Cremation is definitely uh, the thing that most customers want. Uh, acclimation, we find that there's, you know, for every, like, say, 10 cremations we get, we get an acclimation. Uh, but we find that more and more people are thinking about acclimation, and more people are pre planning using acclimation because. Mm they're a lot more younger. They're probably in their forties or fifties and they're thinking about, you know, 30 years from now, what do I want? And so they're going towards acclimation. Mm, got it. Um, so I kind of want to zoom out a little bit and just talk about you like your broader career, right? You've had such a storied and interesting um, career, definitely um, serial entrepreneur. Um, you've been a CTO at a couple of companies already. Um, when you were younger, let's say in, in university and college, and figuring out what you wanted to do. Did you have a clear idea of how your career would pan out? <laughs> I knew what I wanted to do in grade two. Um, so I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and I kind of had this like mental plan. It was, I'm gonna be in software and I'm gonna be building software. Um, I think this really comes from a lot of things. One, mm -hmm. at that time, when I was in grade two, I think Microsoft was growing rapidly. It was like the dawn of Microsoft, I guess. Uh, and so Bill Gates was all over the news. So I was very inspired by that. And then um, just having a computer at home uh, and, no, and no one in the house knowing how to use a computer properly. Uh, and so I was the one that was just kind of fixing stuff, not hardware related, but more software. Whenever, mm. you know, downloaded anything from Kazaa and you got a virus, you're like, okay, well, I'll figure <laughs> out how to remove it, right? Yeah. Um, and so that got me really into the tech. And I always wanted to figure out, well, how do I actually build software? And then in grade three, one of my teachers worked at IBM and that got me very excited. I had no idea what he did at IBM, but that got me very interested. I'm like, wow. And he told me about, you know, Linux is the future. No one's going to be using Windows by the time you graduate. I'm like, okay, wow, I need to understand what Linux is. And 
I remember finding Ubuntu and Ubuntu used to send these free CDs. Uh, and I don't know if they still do, but I ordered a, like a stack of free CDs and then I just started to install it and see what Ubuntu is about. Um, and then break my computer because I like removed the bootloader by accident <laughs> and fixing all that. So that got me very interested all the way throughout elementary, high school. In high school, I started to like pretend online I was a lot older than I was. And so I started to like do some consulting. Uh, there's this programming language called Flex, which was uh, a, a framework called Flex, uh, which Adobe had built that lets you build applications uh, on Flash. Uh, but like they called it rich internet applications. So I started getting very heavily involved in that and another language called Cold Fusion. And to a point where one of, I got so into the community there that someone was writing a book and they said, hey, do you want to write a book with me? I was like, okay, I don't know how old this guy thinks he is, he thinks I am, but sure, I'm going to go do this, right? And so I wrote this book called Flex 3 in Action uh, along with two other co-authors. This is like grade nine or 10. And so I had this idea that, okay, I'm going to be in tech and I'm going to do a business, right? Um, and then university came and Android uh, launched, first year university. And so at that point, I was like, cool, I guess I'm going to build something on Android. And that's really what got me started in this entire like entrepreneurial path where, you know, we were talking before where, you know, Asian parents have this like, or Asian families have this like set template that a lot of people follow, which is engineer, doctor, MBA or whatever, right? And then go work for a company, work for a company for like 20 years, uh, retire, all that fun stuff. And I was like, man, I do not want to even graduate right now. This is such a waste of money because I've been doing programming for so long that I don't really need to be in like an introduction to C Sharp class. Mm -hmm. Sure, I don't know C Sharp, but I understand what programming is. I'll learn C Sharp very quickly. And so I started basically skipping class a lot and just working on uh, this startup, uh, which was like a game center for Android. I had no idea how to run a business. I had no idea how to do anything, but uh, my co-founder at that time and I, we were just kind of like building random stuff. And by chance, what happened was first year came around, first year finished and second year started. And around that time, um, there was an incubator uh, downtown called uh, Extreme Labs, Extreme uh, Extreme University. They had another thing called Extreme Labs, and they had a you know a good offer to us at that point. You know they said we will give you like a convertible note, blah blah blah. Why don't you work on Match Fuel or Anspot as it was called back then, full time? And so I said, okay, sounds good. I told my parents that I'm going to take just a year off, and I'll come back. Right, and that was hard enough. In my mind, I knew I'm never going back to school, but you know, you have to kind of lie and you just have to, yeah. have to manage expectations. You'd be like, I'll be back in a year. And then I started doing Anspot. That business didn't eventually take off, but I learned a lot about how to build a business. Um, I didn't build a product, not really how to build a business yet, but just understanding how to build a product and all that stuff. So that business didn't take off, but at that time when it in around 2012, when it wasn't working, I had a choice where I was like, okay, do I go back to school or do I get a job? And I basically said, well, what's the point of going back to school? I'm going to feel the same way and end up doing the same thing again and waste more money, right? Um, so I will instead 
tell my parents that, yo, you know, I'm going to go back to school now. They're going to be happy. It's been a year, right? Uh, a year or two, a year and a half. Um, and what, what I'll do instead is try to apply to a bunch of jobs and see if anyone takes me. And then I applied to a bunch of jobs and uh, I had enough experience in Android and Android was super hot at that time, like extremely hot. This is like 2012, probably like just at the start of like this entire wave of mobile that blows up, um, especially in Toronto. And so I got a job very quickly uh, at a company called Kobo, where I went in for that interview and I talked about my experiences with Android. I've been doing it since even before Android came out. It was like before Android 1.0, it was called M1, M2 and all these releases. And so I was working on Android M1. And um, so I got this job and I was an intermediate. So I kind of skipped the whole junior path because I'd been doing Android for so long. They put me as intermediate. I quickly moved up to senior there and worked on Android tablets and all that stuff. So I've, I've basically skipped a lot of steps and just kind of find shortcuts, not really shortcuts. They're not short at all. They're, they're probably even longer and more riskier, but it's, it's just like trying to carve your own path and getting to where you want. Mm. And even like that um, opportunity at Kobo was not having completed your undergraduate degree, a topic that was even discussed or they really just focused on your experience <laughs> building? It's all about how you spin it. <laughs> right. Um, I think a lot of people get hung up on a lot of things because they don't know. They think that it, it's a negative, but you can take that negative and you can spin it. Right. Um, so, yeah. OK, I don't have a degree, but instead of, you know, wasting a lot of my money, I went and I got real world experience running a startup. You know, you guys are competing with Amazon. So was I because Amazon came out with an Amazon app store. So it's about being confident in your skill set. Um, and and not really ma making the negative a positive. Because yes, yeah, some employers do, maybe even to this day, look at, oh, well, he doesn't have a computer science degree. Uh, why would I hire him, right? Or why would I hire her? But uh, I think you have to speak and be confident about your experience. Um, and so I did that. The CTO was impressed. Um, and then they gave me an offer at that. <laughs> you know, They gave me an offer there. He asked me, he goes, you know, how much are you expecting? I had no idea what a salary expectation was. I've never given an interview in my life before that. And so I just said, you know, I read online that you're not supposed to talk about this. So I don't know what, what salary expectation do you have? And I think at that point he was like, I don't know what the hell this kid is talking about. So he, he went out and then like, I was just alone in a room and he comes back with a folder with an offer. And he said, here's the offer. I didn't negotiate. I didn't say anything. I said, this is awesome. I took it, I signed the paper right there and I just left. And then I called my mom and I said, oh, you know, you know how I was thinking of going back to school. It's changed now. I got a job and, you know, here's the salary and all that stuff. And it was a very high salary, especially for like immigrant parents who've come mm -hmm. to Canada and working like, you know, non, non white collar jobs. Um, there was a massive salary. Right. Um, so I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do now. I don't need to go back to school. And, and mom said, okay, sounds good. Show me the money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you know, here's an observation I made about, you know, Asian parents, uh, maybe, you know, specifically Indian parents, but the, the whole path of education degree, they're all means to the ends of making money. Right. Yeah. 
So if you just skip all that and you just make start making money, they don't Probably. care. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, okay, fine. You know, and, and you get that like that white collar job that they're so craving for. For me, I just kind of managed to get into that white collar world. Um, but I, you know, doing anything, if you just end up getting that high salary, the parents won't care. You're, yes, absolutely. That's a end, <laughs> means to an end, right? The status, it's the degrees, exactly. And I'm, I'm even just, exactly. even even like earlier in your childhood when you're in like grade two, grade three, it's very clear that you had this innate interest and passion for technology, building stuff, yeah. solving problems. Um, how did you, were your parents uh, pretty supportive with whatever your interests were at the yeah. time, even like oh, getting new computers yeah. and software that you need to take well, around? We couldn't buy new computers. I mean, you couldn't afford new computers. So yeah. I had, uh, for the till like grade six or seven, I had like a 128 megabyte Windows 98 computer, but you know, software back then was all right. Like the, the one thing we did get was high speed internet. That was like a big thing. And then I upgraded my hard drive which was a massive thing from like six gigs to 12 gigs. And it was like, wow, six more gigs. Right. <laughs> but they were always supportive hundred um, percent for them. I think, you know, there's this whole notion of Asian parents, like after school, he's hanging out with his friends who knows what he's doing, getting into drugs and stuff. I think my parents were just happy that I came home and just like kind of was on the computer um, and they didn't see me playing games all the time. So for them, it wasn't mm -hmm. like, well, he's on the computer. And he's not playing games, so I guess he's doing something else, right? And so <laughs> yeah. they they were always supportive of that, where um, they never said no to anything that was like not, didn't involve money, right? If I went and asked for like a fancy computer, they would say no. But anything that I was like, you know, I'm gonna learn programming, I'm gonna do this, sure, right? I'm gonna go to the library. I used to go to the library and just rent books yeah. on um, uh, like Visual Studio and stuff, and and all I did was pirate software. I think piracy gets a bad rap, but like if it wasn't for Kazaa or Torrents that came out later, I pirated everything. Visual Studio, which was super expensive. I pirated Cult Fusion and Flex. The thing I wrote a book on, I pirated because I can't afford it. It was like $10,000 $10, yeah. for the software. But you know what? I'm going to pirate that. And so I pirated the entire way of learning. And I think most people get... You know, I speak to sometimes I speak to students and they're like, oh, you know, it's expensive. I'm like, just pirate it, right? Like, what, <laughs> yeah. what's, what's going to happen? They're not going to come after you. Just download Maya and like get the key gen and whatever. Yeah, well, it's so interesting because I do feel like we're all wired to either be like, like to use a um, Steve Jobs like analogy, like in the Navy or like pirates, right? <laughs> to use the pirating term. Yeah. And did you always feel like this innate... Um, ability and comfort and confidence just to do your own thing, kind of, you know, hack around like the system and the rules to just like get to the end output? Or was that something that you feel like you learned or was more more trained? I'm sure, I'm sure I learned it. I always, I don't know about confidence, but it was mostly like, hey, I want to build this. Yeah. I'll figure it out. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be successful at it, but I'll just figure it out. And most of it was like, I actually thought it was very cool. Right. And uh, like there was this, especially in the 90s growing up, there was this whole idea of like the nerd on TV getting bullied and stuff. Right. You don't see that a lot now, but you saw that a lot. But I always thought it was kind of cool, like being into computers and stuff. So it never like bothered me at yeah. all. For me, it was just like, this is very cool. I'm going to like figure out how to build 
So I remember one of the first apps I ever built was just like taking, <laughs> I called it, I have eventually grade seven, grade eight. Uh, there was a band that was very popular back then called G unit. It was 50 cent. Yes. And, uh, I you know, he had a G unit crowd. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know what happened to them. So I created a company, but it was just a domain that I bought called G Unix, right? So instead of Unix, <laughs> it was Unix. Yeah. And G Unix made software. And G Unix's software, one of the first things I did was, uh, like first thing I actually put out, I, I did a lot of just random experiments, but in grade seven or eight, I took explorer.exe, which, which is on Windows, and I modified that to have like, instead of it saying start, it said GUnix, right? And it changed the colors and stuff. So I went through RegEdit and I modified it and I added some code, reverse engineering it. And that was like the first software. I was like, wow, this is so cool. And then the second one was basically creating like a form and dragging um, uh, internet, like a web view right? And calling it a browser. It wasn't a browser. It was just a web view running on a shell, but that's the type of stuff I did. And I thought that was very cool. And so I continued to do it. That's awesome. I mean, just even trying to understand a little bit more about what's, what has driven you, has there been a true North throughout your life and career that has kind of um, helped make you make decisions, especially as one gets more senior in their career. And I'm assuming you've yeah. had a lot of opportunities in front of you. Is there a common thread or theme of uh, what has helped you decide what to do with your time and uh, career? Yeah. So I, I make decisions based on two things. And one of those things always works out. The other one doesn't. If I make a decision solely based on like, hey, I'm going to go work at this company because solely for the money, it typically doesn't work out because there's no like, you know, there's no real kind of motivation other than like, cool, they're going to pay me a lot. Right. Mm. But if I go work at a company or a product that is more about this is really interesting to me and I find that I can learn a lot and I find that I can. I'm going to use this word. I think it's cool. Right. Like, I think it's really interesting that I work on Irene. Uh, I think it's very interesting. All the other products that I've done that I stick with. If I do something just for the money then it's like, okay, cool. I got the money, but eventually it starts to get super boring. And then I'll just try to find something exciting. Right. And so my North star has been probably this idea, like, I just want to learn something new and keep trying it. Right. And this really, you know, I don't know if it's a hard problem, but there's a problem, right. Uh, I'm not trying to solve like uh, world hunger or anything. I'm just trying to build something fun and challenging. And so it's just a problem that I'll kind of solve. Uh, by doing a lot of research and doing a lot of hacks and just trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. That's great. And even for these like uh, career decisions, do you feel like, how much of your decisions do you feel like is uh, intuitive and like relying more on emotion versus like logical planned out, giving yourself a lot of time if you were to kind of characterize oh, uh, your past decisions? <laughs> I think a lot of it is just like gut feeling. Yeah. Uh, I would love to say I, I, I like rationally plan out everything, but it's more so in hindsight, it seems like everything was planned out perfectly, but absolutely not. But what it is, is it's an educated, it's a, it's, it's an educated uh, way of uh, making a guess, right? It, it, like making a, a gut feeling where what, like if someone were to come to me and say, Hey, you know, 
I want, we're starting a business where we make HTML and CSS, right? I would never go for that, right? Um, because intuitively I know that that world is long gone, right? This is not a world that's challenging HTML, CSS, time a dozen. And so when someone comes to me and this has happened with Zoom.ai, League, um, the two big companies that I work for, both times it was basically like, okay, you know, I might not earn a lot of money here. However, like the salary is low, they're a startup, whatever. However, this is a very interesting industry because my gut feeling and it's kind of the vague research I've done and what I've heard is that healthcare is going to be big one day, right? So I'm going to go for healthcare. And then the same thing with AI, when I got into Zoom, it was just like, okay, you know, yeah, I, this is like a substantial pay cut than what I was earning, but it's all good. This is AI. This is going to pay dividends in the future, right? So that's really what it is. Aside from that, there's no real research. Um, it's mainly what I'm observing because I find myself, I do end up staying plugged in, um, kind of observing what's happening in the tech sector. And that's, that's how I can kind of, so far, I've been lucky enough to kind of ride this wave of, you know, jumping from one thing to another just when the time is right. Right, right. And it's truly impressive. And I think the other really fascinating thing about your background is you've done all this within Canada and within Toronto. Is that right? Yes, definitely. Um, how have you seen the Toronto tech scene um, evolve transform over the last decade or so? Yeah, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> 20, 2011, 2011 or 20, late, 2020, late 2010 is when I was downtown and I was trying to pitch and spot to other people, investors and stuff. There was literally like 10 people doing tech back then. You could go to every event and it was the same people. You would see the people from Wattpad. You would see like Alan and um, Ivan, amazing people. You would just see them every time. And I'd be like, hey, Ivan, hey, Alan, right? And then there's another company called Yukin Games. Uh, Chris, he's, he's, he's amazing. He's built Yukin Games to such like a powerhouse, powerhouse gaming system. But like... I would see Yukin every time, every time, right? So at every event, you would just see them, the same people. And so tech was so tiny. Um, and so I did have multiple opportunities to go to California um, throughout my time, like throughout my career. Early on when I was looking for a job, I had an opportunity to go to, uh, like, like Kobo interviewed me on Friday. I talked to LinkedIn, Twitch, and some other company on the week earlier. And they said, come to California next week. And what I observed was, and it was basically another like educated guest bet or whatever, was, you know, if I go to San Francisco, everyone's going to San Francisco, right? Everyone's going to be there. There's so much competition there. there. It's so saturated. What am I going to do there to stand out? There's like, I don't know if I can stand out there because I am one of 10,000 people in California who are doing the exact same thing. Whereas if I look 10, 2010, 2011, like I said, there was like just like 10, 20 tech people there, right? I'm like, that's cool. There's nothing wrong with Toronto. I think tech is going to grow here. You start, you, you are seeing companies growing. You see Kobo, right? And it has 300 people there. And so I'm like, I'm going to stay in Toronto and I'm going to see what happens here, right? And if worst case Toronto just stagnates, then I have enough experience. I can go to California, work at a Google or whatever. And so 
after Kobo, um, again, I had an opportunity. Uh, and this was actually with Google two times where Google said, hey, you know, you want to come down, want to talk to you, fly you out, blah, blah, blah. And I said, but Toronto's still growing. There's so many new companies popping up in Toronto. You know, and what's nice is you have like really good entrepreneurs like Chris and all, you know, um, the Webpack guys that have grown their companies and those engineers are being mentored and they're starting their own companies. And so it's just like this, you know, like uh, just the spread of tech. And so that got me very excited where I'm like, you know, this is just growing. I don't want to go to Google right now, like in California. It's crazy. And then again, I had another opportunity with Google two or three years later. Uh, this time I became a Google developer expert. And then they said, I was in between jobs, league and Zoom. And they said, well, you know, you're already doing Dart. Why don't you come down? You know, we'd be an evangelist for Dart. And I was like, AI is kind of taking off here, right? Like, do I really want to go to Google right now uh, in California? And so I always thought about it, but I just looked at Toronto. I'm like, Toronto keeps growing. Like there's a clear trend. And so if I see a trend that's moving upwards, I'll just be like, cool. I'll just stick around here and then see how it happens. So if I look at Toronto now, it's I'm sure Toronto probably has another like 10, 15 years left in it before it saturates itself completely. Uh, but uh, right now, it's such a good time to be in tech in Toronto. There's so many smart companies uh, and they're and really, at the end of the day, there's so much money in Toronto uh, in tech right now. Mm, that's great. Um, and you, you do seem to have this knack of like knowing where tech is going to go. Do you have any predictions or like, um, you know, <laughs> top two to three things that you're really excited about over and above what you're working on at Irene? I don't know if I, if I'm good at predictions at all. Uh, I think, I think the secret to kind of the, from the, from, from the outside, it seems like I'm making the right bets, but really what I'm doing is I'm making a lot of tiny bets, uh, I'll, I'll, like tons of them. And one of them works out, and then it just seems like I'm a genius, but absolutely not because nine of those <laughs> bets completely fail. I was totally wrong about nine out of ten of those things. So whether it's technology choice, whether it's uh, you know which industries are going to rise, I have kind of my hands in everything. Where I'll learn about it, I'll hack on a tech, I'll talk to founders in certain industries, I'll I'll just like hang out with them and kind of understand what that industry is doing. So if I decide that hey that industry is starting to take off. I'm already a bit ahead of the curve where I already have some experience. I've already hacked on some technology together. Like I did this with Node.js, right? I was the first one probably to give a talk at OSCON on Node.js and such a big uh, audience. Um, and this was 2012, I think, but no one was using Node back then. Um, and, but I said, hey, cool, Node is interesting. A lot of companies are starting to use it. I'm gonna just start learning it, right? At the same time, I was learning like Five other things. Uh, so in terms of predictions of the future, I mean, it seems obvious that I think AI is not going anywhere. Um, but yeah. what I do think is going to happen is that AI will become more and more accessible to someone who doesn't need to understand machine learning and stuff. Like tech goes through these cycles yeah. where if you go back to the 90s, if you knew HTML and CSS, you were like god of computing. Right. Now, now, you know, a five-year-old can do that um, because of, not because the five-year-old is smarter than someone who knew how to do it. It's just that the tools have become so easy now that you can go on, you can drag and drop and generate HTML and mm. CSS. And so what I think will happen is right now, if you want to do machine learning, 
either you need to be a data scientist or you need to use these pre-built tools. But I think what's going to happen is um, over the next five years or even probably two, three years, tools are going to become more and more easy. Like it's as easy as doing a sorting algorithm where you yeah. just kind of like import java.sort and you run it, right? Uh, and you're seeing companies, there's a fantastic company. I think, I think this company's flying under the radar probably in a lot of uh, normal uh, bubbles, but in like the AI bubble, I think it's doing, it's getting known a lot, which is called Hugging Face. And I think Hugging Face will probably, if they don't get acquired by Google or Microsoft, will probably be one of, a, it'll probably go IPO or something because it is such a fantastic company. And what they've done is they're taking these really hard, complicated AI models and they've made it accessible for anyone to just use an API and access it, right? Mm -hmm. So automatically, I don't need to understand the inner workings of a NLP BERT yeah. algorithm. I can use the BERT model, pass in data sets and get responses back. So I think there's Hugging Face, there's gonna be a lot more companies like Hugging Face are just gonna make it easier and easier. So I think that's where definitely AI is trending. Um, I am, sort of bullish on crypto and all that stuff. I'm mm -hmm. not like, I was big into crypto. Now I'm not because I still don't see a good application of it. Yeah. Um, you know, you might say, yeah, gaming, NFTs and all that stuff. Yeah. But like, I'm looking for like real applications that affect like the mom and dad, right? NFT is not going to affect the mom and dad. Like technology only like accelerates and becomes very popular when it starts to make an impact on like a mom and dad's life. Right. Look at cell phones, look at computers. Right. Has crypto done that yet? Absolutely not. Right. And so till it kind of shows potential there, I'm I'm kind of bullish, mostly bearish. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, like looking for the killer app. Right. I think everyone agrees on the technology and like philosophically, it's it's much superior. Sure. But um, yeah. yeah, I think that's what everyone's looking and there's for. Been, there's been a lot of tech like this in the 90s. Right. There's been mm. like cell phones. Like you saw smart, like uh, smartphones, PDAs and stuff. They were big back in the nineties too, right? But they weren't as big as cell phones now. Why? Because it wasn't as accessible. There was no killer app. Yeah. Really, it was it was the iPhone that really changed it with the app store and all that stuff that, you know, sure, like a mom had no use for a calendar, but a mom has use for a recipe app, right? So she's gonna go buy an iPad or an iPhone just for this. and so. I think when technology gets to that point, that's when you know you have something that's going to stick around for like years and years, decades. Mm. And um, just a couple more questions before we wrap up. Any, it looks like you're a reader, you have a lot of books behind you. Any recommended books that you have for folks who just want to um, either kind of get more clarity on like career uh, or life? Um, so that's one recommendation. And second one, just about technology, right? Just thinking more about the future and trends. Hmm. So I think on life, I think one of the, a really good book I read uh, that's kind of really kind of resonated with me uh, and I've stuck a lot of the quotes have stuck with me is uh, a book by Ray Dalio called Principles. Mm. Um, I really enjoyed that book. I think that book was very, very interesting and yeah. it's kind of, you know, kind of guided a lot of decisions I make uh, just in terms of he has a quote in the book where it's like, you know, imagine you know, you have a good life, but imagine there's like a jungle. And in order to cross that jungle, uh, if you cross that jungle, you could have a great life, right? So are you just going to take a risk and cross that jungle or are you just going to stay where you are? I butchered that quote, but that, you know, that's 
basically what that quote says. And that's, it's always been fascinating to me because that's always how I've thought about things. I'm like, what could go wrong, right? Like, sure, I can go through this. I can stay where I am, which I'm pretty happy. Uh, but like, if I go through this jungle and it's just, you know, some, I'll have to face some nonsense, some risk, but what could go wrong? I'm sure there's something good waiting on the other side. In, in terms of technology, I don't really know. I don't, I don't read a lot of like future tech books because I try to avoid reading a lot of books in something that I'm already aware of mm. uh, and I'm in the industry of. Yeah. So I don't have any good like tech focused book. I would say that for a business, you know, this is cliche in a lot of ways, but like there is a book called the Startup Handbook, um, Startup Manual or Handbook. What is it called? Uh, the Startup Owner's Manual. That's a really good book. Um, I would say anyone who's looking to start a business, read that. And then the other book I would 100% tell everyone to read is a book called The Mom Test. And The Mom Test has saved me one too many times uh, that I feel bad for pirating that book, um, where The Mom Test basically tells you that you have an idea, but you have to kind of validate that idea in a proper way. I can come to you, Justin, and I can say, you know what, Justin, I have a great idea where I'm going to come up with uh, protein bars on demand, right? You click a button, you get a protein bar. Um, and you might say, cool, Faisal, that sounds cool. And I'm going to take your cool as, you know what, I think Justin's a customer. I'm going to go build it, right? Or I might say, hey, Justin, would you pay for it? And you'll be like, yeah, I guess I would pay for it. Now, I spent all this time building this, and then I come back to you, and I'm like, hey, Justin, it's ready. Can you, can, you know, you want to use it? And you use it for like three minutes and you're like, you know what? It's not really solving me a problem. I already have 40, 14 protein bars at home. There's no need for me to use your service. A lot of people fall in this trap because a lot of people will ask their friends about something and or, or anyone and they'll say, yeah, it's cool, right? So the whole point of the book is your mom's going to say yes to anything because she's your mom, right? right? <laughs> but it's trying to understand what the actual problem is. And so it mm. helps you build a framework of questions where to take that protein bar example, I can be like, how often do you eat protein bars, right? You can like, you know, probably once a day. Okay, and how are you getting your protein bars? Uh, and you can be like, well, you know, whenever I go shopping, it's just part of my list, so I'm not even thinking about it, right? You have no use case for protein bars because you're already getting too cheap. You're not going to pay online additional for this. So it's a great way of validating ideas. And I've failed a lot of time in building products because I haven't validated them like this. And I've succeeded a lot of times because I did validate products like this and it's helped me save a lot of time and it's helped me build the right thing. Mm, great recommendation. I haven't, I haven't heard of that book either. So um, appreciate that. And I mean, it's so interesting now because especially entrepreneurship, it's very much democratized now more so than ever before. So it's very easy for folks to start up any idea that they think of. Uh, but to your point, it's always really helpful to make sure you're spending your time and energy in the right place. That's um, valuable for everybody. So the mom test. For sure. Okay, cool. Um, and then last question um, before we wrap up is, what do you do to take care of yourself? How do you manage your energy, right? I, I, it seems like you have a lot of um, ideas and energy and you're really energized by your work. Uh, what do you do to recharge outside of uh, your day job? Um, I lie down on my couch and I watch YouTube. Uh, and I basically watch, basically you will find me when I'm like completely online. Okay. You know what, what I say is I call bankruptcy on work. 
I'll be yeah. like, you know what? I'm just not that to work today. <laughs> and I'll just go lie down on the couch and I'll put on YouTube. And what I'll do is my YouTube list is mixed. My YouTube list is mixed between interesting stuff that I have no idea about. Like hardware is something that I'm always fascinated about. I've never built a computer by myself. So I watch stuff like Linus Tech Tips and random random YouTube channels like that where you know they're doing some interesting stuff. It's funny, it's lighthearted. I'm not really learning. Other times, um, I will try to learn, but it's a very passive learning where I'm probably not retaining anything, but it's interesting where I can speak to that, where I'll like look at channels like Computer File, Number File, um, where I'm like, wow, these are really good. Um, and then sometimes I'll listen to like really long podcasts, but like some of these podcasts, they're all following, I guess, the Joe Rogan model where they're just like five hours long. I'm like, yeah, I can't, so I can't watch all this, right? This is crazy. <laughs> Right. I want to listen to this guy, but I don't want to listen to him for five hours nonstop. And then if I break it up, then I'll forget about it by like three days. I'll never come back to the podcast. But sometimes I do end up watching like Lex Friedman has good podcasts uh, on some guests. Um, and like not really Joe Rogan. I think Joe Rogan only had one guest that I liked, uh, which was this physicist called Brian Green. All the other Joe Rogan ones are just like whatever. Um, but yeah, that's typically what I do. Um where I'll just relax and watch. And then other times I'll just really not do anything. I'll just walk around aimlessly outside. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there isn't anything specific I do. I, I, I just, I really just enjoy watching YouTube and like this curated playlist that I've uh, created a list of channels that I've created for myself. That's great. That's great. And then final question is for folks who want to find you on the internet, where's the best place for them to uh, follow uh, that's you thinking? Best place is Twitter. Uh, it's Twitter at Faisal Abid. Uh, that's where I'm most active. Uh, or LinkedIn, if you want to like add me on LinkedIn and like send me a message. But you could also do that on Twitter. But those two are great. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Faisal. This was awesome. We covered a lot of ground and really appreciate all your advice and, and tips as well. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Faisal. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your family and friends, leave me a review on iTunes, or drop me a note on our website, asiantechleaders.com. I really appreciate having each of you as a listener and sharing your valuable time with me. Be well, stay healthy, and follow your heart. See you soon.